Welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. My name is Mike Tizier, and I'm joined again today by Joe Anity. Hey, how's it hey, going? Good, good, Mike. Well. <laughs> yeah, it's good to, good to be here. I'm excited we're talking about this. You just spoke on this. Yeah, I uh, preached on the issue of uh, unity, John chapter uh, 17, verses 20 through 26. Uh, that's the very end of... Um, uh, what is often called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. You know, he had that time with his disciples in the upper room and later that night and uh, before he goes to Gethsemane, he um, he um, took time to pray for himself and for his disciples, you know, and uh, the, the prayer really ends with an emphasis upon unity. Uh, his prayer is that his disciples would be one, um, not only those who were with him on that night, but the ones who would believe through their word. And, uh, of course, that's such an important issue uh, today, uh, that we pursue unity within the church. But really, the the point that I was trying to make in that sermon is that Jesus doesn't just pray for any kind of unity, but he prays for a unity of a particular kind. Uh, he prays that they may all be one. I'm looking at John 17, 21. He prays that they may all be one just as, and I made much of uh, that word. Um, uh, well, in the English, it's those words. But uh, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so the, the point of the sermon was really to say it's not just any kind of unity that Christ is praying for. It's a, it's a unity of a particular kind and it's a unity that is like, just as, uh, the unity that exists between uh, Jesus the Christ and the Father, you know. And so it's a substantial unity that Christ is praying for. Uh, so that was really the point of the sermon a couple of weeks ago. And I wanted to just kind of come back to that in this podcast and to say, let's talk more about that um, it's hard to preach a sermon in like 40 minutes. It's hard for me at least. <laughs> There's always so much more to be said. And I think what I could have said more of in the sermon would would have to do with application. Like, okay, we're to have substantial unity with one another. Um, doctrinal unity, we're to pursue it. Uh, um, unity in Christ. Um, no divisions among us, we're to pursue it. Uh, that was said, but I think what I'd like to talk about more is how you know how yeah how to get at that does that yeah yeah that's well, the reason here for uh this this episode yeah well let's get into it how then do we pursue uh, the kind of unity that christ prayed for I, well, I think we need to do what christ did and, and mimic him and that we need to pray for it right, right. first of all right. we start there lord um would you maintain the unity we have or would you help us to regain unity whatever the circumstance might be, we need to pray for it. By the way, I love talking about things like this when there are no problems within the church. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's not good to wait until there's like a division within the church to start talking about unity. I mean, obviously it needs to be talked about then too, but how, how nice it is to enjoy unity, but to teach on the subject um, so that we can really work to preserve it. Right. Um, so we need to pray for it, and then we need to get ready to work on it. And I think that's the thing that I really want to emphasize here is prayer is important, of course, but unity unity takes work, right? Okay. I think sometimes people come into the church going, oh, these Christians, you know, they're, 
they're so nice and they're right. I mean, they're, they're, they're followers of Jesus. I mean, of course, everyone's just going to be saintly, right? <laughs> but man, we, no, it, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot sure. of effort to, to maintain or to um, establish or reestablish unity within Christ church. Yeah. Well, what are some things, what are some practical things that we can do to help promote unity? I just alluded to the issue of expectations. I think that's huge to have pr- the proper expectations concerning the nature of Christ's church. Absolutely. There will be a day Absolutely. when we are together in glory and will not struggle with sin any longer. But when we live in this world, I mean, we're sinful, we're fallen, we're prone to err both, well, in thought, in word, and in deed, you know, to use the language of like that traditional confession of sin, right? We, we err. Uh, stumble in thought and word and deed. Um, we, we misunderstand one another. We fail to communicate well. We're easily offended. I mean, it just it shouldn't even have to be said, but it, it seems like it does need to be said that um, we need to have the right expectations about the church. We're not, we're not perfect, right? right and so you, right. unity, maintaining it is going to take work. Um, there's a lot of things, though. I, I think, and, it, you know, as I was kind of jotting down some notes for this episode, I'm going... A lot of this can apply to the church setting. It can also apply to marriage, the marriage relationship, to friendships in general. Uh, this can apply uh, in a lot of arenas, right? But I have in mind here the church right now. I think learning to ask questions of one another and to listen is huge. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, James warns us in James one nineteen to... Um, to be slow to speak and quick to listen, right? Because he's aware of that propensity in us to just talk over people and to never really listen and, and, and to seek to understand what they're saying or what they're thinking or where they're coming from on a particular issue. And I, I would imagine a lot of conflicts arise because of this right here. Sure. As humans, we have a tendency to assume, and usually the assumptions aren't necessarily true. Yeah. Yeah, I, I assume that this is what you're saying, that yep. um, this is what you're thinking. Uh, and, and a lot of that could be dealt with just by simply learning to ask good questions and learning to shut one's mouth long enough to, you know, to really seek to understand the other person. Um, such a basic thing, but it's often neglected. You know, uh, We need to be good listeners. I think it's also important not to trust your emotions when you're um, when you're interacting with other people. I feel like this person feels this way towards me. You know, right. you may be totally off. You know, no, well, they looked at me a certain way. They might have been looking past you to something else. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? It's just amazing how many things, um, how many problems arise based upon. Uh, emotional responses to things and assumptions that are made. Don't read into things. Don't assume that that's really the idea here. You know, I, I, somebody said this to me many years ago and it just stuck with me. It just, it's a simple little principle here, but allow people to have a bad moment or a bad day. Right. You know, like it, it, sometimes very good people who love you deeply are going to be in a bad mood, you know, and they're going to have a bad day. They're going to snip at you. Uh, actually, that happens most often between people who are very close. You notice that you rarely, um, you re- rarely snip at uh, someone who is just an acquaintance, but you do, unfortunately, 
sometimes snip at your wife or your husband, you know, and there you are with low blood sugar and you're tired and you're cranky. And, it, you know, it just happens. It, it's so important within the church, I think, to love one another enough that you would make room for that sort of thing, right. you know. I'm not saying you ignore it necessarily, you know, but but what I'm saying is that it's important to um, leave room for that. I have uh, Proverbs ten twelve and First Peter four eight listed here, and uh, both of those passages talk about the fact that love covers a multitude of sins. And I think the idea here is when you truly love someone, and when you're truly shown. I'm not talking about the emotional love. I'm talking about when you are living in a loving manner towards someone. Um, when you truly love someone, you are willing to cover sin or cover offense instead of exposing it and and, and capitalizing upon it or something you know right. that's the idea right. um, you're allowing people to have a bad moment or a bad day Matthew 18 talks a lot about um, how to deal with sin or offenses within the church it's a very famous passage that ends up dealing with the issue of church discipline you know um but at the beginning of it, it's really interesting. In Matthew 18, I believe it begins in verse 15. Um, the passage starts uh, by saying, if someone offends you, let me get to it actually so I can just read it. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. I think something that is often overlooked here is that it is the responsibility of the one who has been sinned against, the one who has been offended, to go to the one who has done the offense. We typically think in exactly the opposite way, don't we? Absolutely, we do. So, so so-and-so snipped at me, so-and-so gossiped behind my back, so-and-so did this or that, we think, well, I'm going to sit here with my arms crossed in the corner <laughs> and wait for them to come to me and wait yeah. for them to come to me because after all, they're the ones that, you know, offended me. You, you don't have to think about this for too long to understand why it should be this way though, the way that Jesus tells us, you know, the, the, the reality of it is that the other of the two parties, the offended and the offender, who is the one that knows for sure that something is wrong? Right. The it's offended. the one who is offended. Yep. It may be that the offender also knows something that is wrong, and it's obvious then that that person is to go and to make amends. I mean that's just common sense. They're to go and to repent for what they have done. They know that a sin was committed. Go and repent, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But it might also be that the person who has offended the other is unaware of it. Yep. You know? And now you have this person who's there in the corner with their arms crossed, brooding, uh, you know, um, angry and and, and, and uh, resentful. And there they are for one month, and then for a year, and then for two years, and then for five, and then for a lifetime. And there is this hostility that exists between, uh, you know, brothers and or sisters in Christ. And uh, and and the one person's oblivious about it, right? You know, right. And pers- my personal experience, that's been the majority of cases for me. Like when I've found myself offended something or about some- that something is th- someone has done or said or something, 
oftentimes when I finally do confront it with that person or whatever in the past, it's been this total misunderstanding or, mm-hmm. you know, just unaware that the person did something to offend. And, and it's just, you know, brings me, it's brought me to this place, you know, over the last few years to be more like assuming the best of people. And that's what we, we need, we need to do. Give that grace to people, mm-hmm. to our, to our friends, especially to our friends and close ones. It's just like, we know who they are. Most likely we need to, you know, they didn't mean what we think they meant. And we just need to have the grace to, you know, assume the best of them and go and ask them about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it, I agree with you. Assume the best, but also don't ignore the issue. Sure. Yes. So you've been offended. You've been hurt. Don't just let it lie there because that it's like a cancer to the soul, really. Yeah. You know, it's like wood rot. I have wood rot at my house and I know that I need to take care of it because people tell me you can't just paint it. It just keeps spreading. You got to cut it out. You know, <laughs> that that's that's what this sort of thing is like, this bitterness, this root of bitterness. It takes hold. And if you just let it sit there, it's going to fester. It's going to spread. The infection will grow, All you know, whatever image you want to use. But um, it's the one who has been offended who is to go to the one who has committed the sin or the offense. And, and uh it's just so plain here in Matthew 18, and yet we we, we miss that. Um, I think the church would be in such a healthier state if this principle would just be consistent, the simple principle, if it would just be consistently applied. I mean, our churches would be filled with unity. When, when you go to someone who has offended you, one of two things, well, let me, okay, let me be more honest about it. One of three things will happen. It may be that they're just rebellious people and they just say, forget you. Yeah, yeah, I did mean it. Yeah, I did gossip about you. Deal with it. (laughs) Okay, that's a possibility. I doubt it, though. I think, you know, if we are brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, I mean, how how often is that going to happen? If it does happen, then there's another issue here. And then you're to take another, the passage goes on, you're to take another with you. And then if the person doesn't listen to the pair of you or the, to the three of you or whatever, you to take it to the church. I think that involves involving the elders and the congregation as a whole. Um, so if there is truly a rebellious person in your midst like this, it's not, again, it's not to be ignored, it's to be dealt with. But in my experience, more often than not, the person will either clarify, like you said, oh, I, I did not mean that. I wasn't look. I, I didn't look. I've never had an ill thought towards you. I wasn't looking at you in that way. And the, uh, you have to be prepared for that. They might say, "I think you've misunderstood," and it may be that you've misunderstood. Or they might say, "You know, you're right, and I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me?" Right. Um, I would. I would imagine that 99 percent of the time, that's how it's going to go. One of those two ways. Uh, let me clarify, or please forgive me. And. If that's happening in the church on a regular basis, my goodness, there's going to be great unity and health within the congregation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I had, I, I've had an experience with this twice as a pastor, where I offended someone, and they let it fester for like, in one case, two years, in another case, seven plus years. Wow. Until they just let me have it. And in both instances, um, I honestly was just shocked, you know, going, I I didn't have a clue that there was this problem between us. You know, um, I probably sound rather obtuse right now. Like, how, how do you not have a clue? But in one case, the person just hit it well. 
you know, it was just cordial. And in the other case, I just wasn't around the person to notice any tension, you know, for, for that whole period of time. But there was this festering sort of, um, you know, bitterness there. Uh, and, but in both cases, uh, I, I was able to, um, address the issue, apologize for the things that I thought I could apologize for, you know, honestly, and, and also clarify some things. But it, it, both in both instances, I remember walking away going, that's really sad. You know, yeah. two years, seven or eight years of this kind of residing within the heart. And um, I was also kind of upset, you know, and I, I talked to them about it like, that was wrong of you to not come to me and to tell me that there was this problem. I think I would have been, especially in the case where it was seven or eight years, I remember yes. saying, if you would have come to me the next day or the next week, I could have at least remembered the situation that you're talking about. Now I don't even have a clue. I mean, this was so long ago, but, um, you know, it, it, I don't know. It was just it, not a pleasant experience to know that there was this hostility that was in the heart for so long and yeah. uh, sad for them. And I think sad for me too. So yeah, we, we need to keep short accounts with people, you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger is kind of the principle. It's like deal with it, deal with it. And it's not deal with it if you have offended, but deal with it if you have been, been offended. That's yeah. the Matthew eighteen yeah. fifteen principle. Yeah. That's good. I think also, um, we do need to learn to repent well, thoroughly, you know, humbly. I have Psalm 51 here because I think it's a beautiful example of what repentance should look like. It's, I think, a record of David's repentance after he was conf- after he was confronted concerning his sin by Nathan the prophet, right? right? right. A um, little different. Nathan was sent to confront David, though David did not sin against him personally. But anyways... I guess he did because he was his king, but um, that's another story. But F- Psalm 51, I think, is a good example of what repentance should li- look like um, to, to to get to the point of it. I think it's important that we really think about our errors, that we repent, first of all, before God for our sins. Lord, forgive me, because ultimately it's God that we sin against. Right. Our sins have an impact and an effect upon others. But ultimately, it is God who we sin against, so we need to repent before him. And I think we need to learn to come before those we have wronged, be it a brother or sister in Christ, our own wife, whatever, and to look them in the eye and to say, this is what I did. I acknowledge it. I'm sorry for it. Will you please forgive me? I think saying those words, will you please forgive me, is so powerful. You know, not just I'm sorry, that doesn't really demand a response, but there's a question that should be asked. Will you please forgive me? And then I think also to not expect an immediate response is important because sometimes if the sin, you know, is severe, the wounds are kind of deep, you have to leave room for a person to go away and to to think about it and to assess the sincerity of your repentance and all of that. Um, But we need to learn to repent well. You know, you're right. I I did... uh, I did uh, have this attitude towards you, or I did say this thing, and I thought about it. I, it was wrong. W- will you please forgive me? Will you consider that? You know, and then to leave it alone. Um, and then we need to learn to forgive well. Also, I think it's very important for a Christian to eventually, you know, either immediately or after some brief time, to come back and say, "I do forgive you." You know, and when we forgive someone, we need to really forgive them, meaning that we do not hold it against them any longer. Mm -hmm. 
there's a there's an um, there's an idea out there that to forgive means that we forget. We don't ever forget. It's a very popular saying. Yeah, forgive and forget. There's a there's a thought out there that God forgets. God doesn't forget. He's omniscient. <laughs> he, trust me, he doesn't forget. When the scriptures talk about God not remembering our sins any longer, the idea here is that he doesn't call our sins to remembrance. He doesn't bring them up and hold them against us and hold them over us. When he forgives, he pardons, right? And he allows that relationship to be restored most fully. And we also are to forgive in the same way. We don't, we don't forget things, but we can forgive and not bring things up again and hold it against whoever it is that has sinned against us that has repented and we have forgiven. Right, I think that's such an important principle here. When the scriptures talk about um, God uh, forgiving us and forgiving our sins as, and removing them from us as far as the east and from the west, that that's the principle that our sins are not held against us um, when they are forgiven by God, um, and that should be true of us as well. Sometimes it's important that we do talk about sins of the past, you know. So a brother has sinned, and even if there is an initial repentance, I think that's good. But I think in some cases the sin is so severe that it's like, can we talk about this a little bit? You know, it's not just I forgive you and let's move on and never deal with the, 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 the situation, right? But it's, yes, I'm willing to forgive you in my heart, but this was such a devastating thing. We, we, we need to talk about it. Right. Sometimes it requires work between the two to reconcile, right? I think so. Yeah. But I think once we work through that and, and say the words, I forgive you, then we're not to bring it up time again. I think this is particularly applicable actually for husbands and wives sure. right now. Yep. You know, uh, th- th- This is really devastating uh, it, it, to a marriage relationship when the husband or wife is constantly bringing up stuff from the past. You remember that on March 2nd, 2001, <laughs> you said this to me. <laughs> Yes, I do remember, hon, and I I regret it, and I already apologize for it. Can we move on? <laughs> um, so uh, kind of connected to that, though, is that we need to be careful not to harbor bitterness in our hearts. Um, that That is like a cancer to the soul. I have here um, a note to look at Ephesians chapter 4 uh, in verse 29. Um well, here it is, actually. I, I alluded to this earlier, starting in uh, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That's really what we're talking about here, just coming before your neighbor and speaking truth to them. Um, for we are members of one another. It's a reminder here that we have this union in Christ. Uh, so we must maintain this union in, in reality. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. There is a righteous kind of anger, but don't sin in the midst of your anger. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. Keep short accounts and give no opportunity to the devil. It is actually the devil who's in the midst of all this, isn't it? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Uh, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I think here is a reminder that, you know, when we're offended, what is our temptation? 
It's to go and to talk to everybody else except yep. the one who has offended you. Yep. Can you believe what so and so did? You know, and, and, and so there's this corrupting talk that is for no good. It doesn't build up anyone. It, it, it only tears down. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Verse thirty by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So this stuff, this this bitterness, this wrath, anger, clamor, slander, it just should have no part in the Christian's life. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. That last part, I think, is significant. There's a reminder here that God has forgiven you so much in Christ Jesus. And how could you not also extend that forgiveness to your brother right. in Christ, right. your sister in Christ, right? A beautiful verse right there. Matthew 7 talks about how we're to remove the speck in our own eye before we try to remove the log out of our... Got that backwards, didn't I? Oh, yeah. Matthew 7 talks about how we're to remove the law out of our own <laughs> eye before we try to remove the speck in our brother's eye also. And I do have a note here to say, remember how much Christ has forgiven you and look at Matthew eighteen twenty one. Do you remember that, that parable that's talked about here where there was um, a, a slave uh, that owed his master a great debt and he pleads with his master and his master forgives him that oh, debt? Right. And then, and then yeah, the other. a little later on, the same slave, the same servant is found um, unforgiving towards a fellow servant who right. owed him far less, far less you know. Um, that, to me, is such a powerful image, you know, because here we are as Christians in such great debt to God because of our sin, and, and it's been wiped away. And yet here we are holding grudges against one another in such petty ways. Right. I mean, the, the parable is actually very strong. I mean, in the end, the master casts out the wicked uh, servant and uh, rebukes him for his hypocrisy. It's, it's very strong. But, um, yeah, it, 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 it's such a powerful uh, principle here. And so, yeah, we need to remember that, you know, Christ has forgiven us much. How could we not forgive our neighbor, our brother? And sister in Christ. And then also I did want to say just kind of the last point under that question that you asked, what are some practical things that we could do to help promote unity? We should remember um, that we're to maintain unity in the context of the church. And what I mean by that is that we're talking about not two friends maintaining unity with one another, as important as that is, but we're actually talking about unity, not between two friends, but unity within the church. We're talking about maintaining unity within the body of Christ so that this really isn't about you and brother so-and-so. This is about you and the body of Christ. You know, these divisions are, are, are having an impact upon an entire community, an entire body upon Christ's church itself. And so when you look at Matthew 18, 15 and following, we see that there are instructions here for maintaining unity and de- dealing with offenses that go far beyond just two people. You know, in the end, um, if there is no repentance, um, this offense, this sin is to be dealt with within the context of the church. I think with uh, pastors and elders taking the lead or role within it as ordained by God. 
Um, that, that I think is so often neglected. That process is so often short circuited, you know, yeah. you have an offense and, and you're not willing to, to involve others. You're not willing to let the whole process play out so that the wisdom of Christ's body can be applied to the situation. Um, I think people so often just pull the plug on the thing um, prematurely and don't give an opportunity for real healing and real reconciliation and real unity to prevail. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I have some stories about that. I'll, I'll, uh, withhold. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this is, this is a good question to ask. Is there ever a time when division is appropriate? Yes. (laughs) We have good examples of that. So that's good. Yeah. I I think here, here's what I mean though. There are some instances of division that are right and good and necessary. I am not saying that division should ever be desired or even celebrated. There's a sense in which any time there is division within Christ's church, it should grieve us. Sure. Yeah. But at the same time, even with hearts filled with grief at the division that has entered in, we can from time to time say, but it was necessary. Well, we look at, I mean, the Catholics for, you know, in Martin Luther, for example, yeah, like, you know, he's known to have wanted to bring um, reformation to the church itself, like the entire church, not not to wanting to split away right. and start his own thing, but the division became necessary because... Well, yeah, so. actually, that that's a great example of it. So we look at that and do we not, in one sense, grieve? Yeah, absolutely. Even to this day, I mean, we're talking about... Um, you know, 500 years later, mm-hmm. actually, uh, yeah, the 500, uh, year anniversary is coming up, isn't it? Of the, uh, 95 theses. Hmm. Is that right? When, well, I don't 15, 17. I, yeah. Okay. So it's coming up. Um, I mean, in a sense, yeah, we, we look at the division that took place 500 years ago and I don't know anybody who celebrates it and who says, Yes, it's all good. I'm so glad it happened, I, right. right? But at the same time, I, we can look at the same event and go, given the circumstances, you know, it had to. This yeah. was something you had to take a stand upon. And yep. uh, given the, the the unwillingness for those who had abandoned truth to repent of it, right, it, it, it became a necessary uh, divide within the church, Um mm-hmm. I, you know, you could look at it from so many different angles. Though, was it possible for unity to prevail if there would have been less uh, sinfulness? You know, um, kind of uh, surrounding that doctrinal controversy. But perhaps, you know, it's it's never just purely about doctrine, of course, right? right? right. Um, when humans are involved, it never is, right? <laughs> so, so I guess that's what. I, yeah, it's a great illustration. We look at it, and in one sense, we grieve. We we say, yeah, things could have done been done better. In another sense, we say, but it seems to have been kind of inevitable given the uh the distortion of 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 doctrine that had set in yeah. you know and an unwillingness to to repent of it uh, so yes i th- i think there is a time when division is appropriate appropriate um I, I do wish that we would think 
learn to think in terms of layers or levels or degrees of unity corresponding to our levels of agreement with one another in the church. And what I mean by this is there are some doctrinal errors that are so severe, right, that what they require is a rift, a substantial rift. You know, we, we cannot really walk together any longer, and even we, we can't even really call each other brothers or sisters in Christ any longer because you have so moved away from God's revealed truth. Mm-hmm. It, you know, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking how, how, um, how important it is to recognize that the only reason we could even talk this way is because we believe that the Scriptures are God's inspired word and that there is such thing as objective truth. Right. Um, but when a person or a church uh, abandons that truth in a, a rather severe way, things that are at the heart or core of uh, uh, of the truth of Christianity, there there does come a time where you say we can't walk together anymore. You know, yeah. the problem is I think sometimes Christians begin to act in that sort of extreme way whenever there's any sort of disagreement, right? Regardless of the degree. Regardless of, regardless of the the centrality or lack thereof of a particular doctrine, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, well, how how are you to think of those those um, those levels, and what's a good way to to see those when it's necessary, when it's not? It's kind of a complicated thing, isn't it? Um, here's how I think of it. Okay. And I find myself always doing this, by the way, thinking of, thinking of these things in terms of, of levels or in terms of degree. Um, I'm constantly doing this. Uh, but here's how I think of it. There are some truths that are so core, they're so central that if they are altered, they have a kind of ripple effect upon the rest of the Christian life and the rest of the Christian faith so as to do it damage to the whole. Right, right. You know, I guess we could think of, here, here's an analogy. Um, think of the human body, right? If you're wounded in one part of the body, you can live. If you're wounded in another part of the body, you're not going to live. <laughs> there, there, are, there are vital organs, you know, that, that differ from the finger, you know. So, so, so if, you're, if you're cut to the heart... That's a real problem. That's life-threatening. If you cut your index finger, you're going to be okay, right? <laughs> you're you're going to go on. And I think it's the same way with doctrine. There are some vital core doctrines that you you, you just can't touch right. and to expect that the effects aren't going to be severe. Um, I've also used the illustration before of if you ever have a thread hanging off your shirt, you know, um, maybe off of one of your buttons, I wear button-up shirts uh, pretty regularly. You know, if there's a thread that's hanging off, what, what do you do? You, you look at it and you go, should I pull it or not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> should I pull it or not? And, and, and the thought is, you know, I'll pull it if I know that only an inch of thread is going to come off or something like that, right. and then it's the end of it. But you're also thinking to yourself, I, I'd better not pull it because it might be connected to the core, you know, so that in pulling it, the whole button comes off or maybe even worse, you know, you just have it, right? Doctrine works that way, you know, um, 
for someone to deny the inspiration and infallibility and authority and clarity of Scripture, for example. Uh, To me, you know, I think most would agree that that's the kind of disagreement that cuts to the heart. Sure. Um, You know, what's another example? Denying the Trinity cuts to the heart. Denying the the deity of Christ. Deity of Christ. Certain um, mistakes pertaining to the doctrine of God have a way of kind of cutting to the heart and, and touch, you know, having an impact upon everything. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so this isn't just us saying, uh, well, we love these doctrines. You better not touch them or you're out in a kind of, um, I don't know, non-thought through sort of way. Sure. Um, as much as it is a, a real careful consideration of doctrine and how one doctrine impacts the others. Now, you know, I taught a class on eschatology, the end times, uh, a little while ago, and I presented to our people the amillennial perspective, right? And it's important. I'm not denying its importance. I, I, I'm passionate about it. It impacts life, the, the Christian life, very much so. Um, but there are three predominant views within the church today. Uh, there's the amillennial perspective, the premillennial, and the postmillennial, and there are good brothers and sisters in Christ who hold to all three of those. And yeah, it's okay to get passionate about your particular view. I agree. It, it's not inconsequential. You know, it's important stuff. But at the same time, I think it's a, an example of one of those doctrines where if you pull on it, everything doesn't unravel. Yeah. Every, yeah. Right? Right. Absolutely. And so for me, it's like I have no problem walking hand in hand with, uh, metaphorically speaking, a brother in Christ <laughs> who, who is a, a premillenarian, right. uh, especially if he's a historic or, or progressive premillenarian. I guess you got to take the class to know what that means, right, or listen to it online. But uh, because it, we, we agree on so much and that this is a disagreement that isn't central or core in my opinion. Um, so I think – Learning to think in regards to doctrinal uh, differences in, in layers or levels or degrees is really helpful. Can I give you an example? I, I had um, someone close to me the other day. Uh, they're, they're, they're growing in their walk with the Lord. They're, they're beginning to walk with the Lord more closely, right? And they said, yeah, my wife and I, we've been going to church every Sunday now for the last couple of months. Well, where are you going? And they tell me about the church. And it's the kind of church where it's like I, I would have some disagreements with it, you know? Right, uh, we're pretty particular about our doctrine and about the way we do things. We've thought them through. We're passionate about it. Does that mean because the church isn't just like ours that I should say, "Oh, brother, you, <laughs> you know, you're in error"? Right? Absolutely not. Like I can absolutely rejoice with my my um, the, the person that I'm close to here. Who's I can rejoice with them from the heart. Say, "This is so good. You're walking with Christ." I can. Uh, authentically celebrate with them on one level. Whereas someday I might want to have a conversation with them on another level. Right. And I think it's just helpful to learn to kind of address other churches and other Christians with this sort of way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention real quick is on one hand, yeah, we need to be careful not to transform something that is not a, you know, a long thread that will pull off the button, but a short thread, not changing a short thread to a long thread that could pull off the button. 
Does that make sense? Yep. <laughs> so not turning, you know, a small issue into right. a really big divisional issue. Um, but at the same time, we also need to not li- like make small what is big. And I think that we kind of sometimes can do that mm-hmm. as well. Um, like as we've talked about the doctrines of grace, for example, you know, although discussion and all that stuff is great on all these topics and should be the central central way we deal with issues no matter what, which is what we've already talked about so far. To limit some some things, to to minimize some things, to be very oh that's not a big deal, doesn't really affect the way we live, um, can be detrimental too. Oh so yeah, just that. Well, I think it's detrimental um, in a significant way, and I think that's actually the trend probably today yeah, yeah. is to um, minimize the essential things down to Jesus. You yeah, know, so, so so what matters? Jesus matters. That's it. Yep. Love Jesus. That's all that matters. Well, don't you know, doctrine of God doesn't matter. Nope, just love Jesus. Just love. What does that mean to jo- love Jesus? Don't even ask that question. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> in the moment you ask that question, you actually have to start talking about the the content of the faith. Yeah. That's exactly it, Mike. I mean, I think in our day, that is the trend to take long threads and to make them in to, to pretend they're short ones. Yep. Um, and then no one ends up knowing what they're talking about because. Well, yeah, and really this is where my sermon went eventually, uh, John seventeen twenty through 26. The title of it was Jesus Divides, Doctrine Unites. Okay. Great title. And of course that's meant to be kind of provocative because um, there there is this mantra today that's out there and it's used by the, the folks that we just referred to those who would want to minimize the Christian faith down to Jesus alone and to ignore all doctrine as if it had significance, right? Um, There's a mantra out there, which is to say that doctrine divides, Jesus unites. And what folks mean by that is we never should talk about doctrine because it only brings division, but Jesus unites us. Okay, there's some truth to that, but there's also some truth to the statement that I've made here that is that Jesus divides and doctrine serves to unite. How does Jesus divide? Well, he has set us off from the rest of the world. He has his sheep. He has called us to himself. The Gospel of John is just filled with language about this. You know, He knows his sheep. He knows who they are. They hear his voice. They follow. Uh, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. You know, In John 17, the immediate context there earlier, Jesus is praying for those whom the Father has given him out of the world. So Jesus does bring division. In fact, in another place in Matthew, I forget the exact uh, chapter and verse, but Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth, but I have come to bring a sword, mm-hmm. you know, to set, I forget all of the relationships he mentions, but basically uh, um, family members against family members. You know, and it's not that he came, you know, with that spirit to, to, to divide. But the point is made here that Christ brings truth. He brings light. And when light comes into the darkness, distinctions are made, right? Uh, so there is a sense in which Jesus divides necessarily so, rightly so. You cannot be in Christ without experiencing some sort of division, truth from error, yeah. light from darkness, worldliness from from godliness and so on and so forth. And then the corresponding truth is this, that doctrine actually unites. The word doctrine simply means teaching. That's all it means. And when we talk about doctrine, we're talking about the teaching of the Bible and what ought to be the teaching of the church. What the Bible says is what the church is to say. 
And when the church says what the Bible says consistently, it provides what you need to have unity. Right. Deep unity. Not, deep unity. Yeah, exactly. Not the, oh, we all love Jesus. Well, what do you believe about God? Well, let's... Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, let, let's not go there. No, no, no. Deep and substantial unity is developed when we get, when we all together give ourselves to the true and authentic and thorough study of God's word. It's doctrine that we need. And this is one of the reasons that we're a confessional church. We have the Lenin Baptist Confession. It's more than a you know one-page statement of faith. It's because I believe this to the core that that document is there in order to give a still very brief summary of what the Bible teaches, right? Even though it's much longer than most statements of faith, it's still a very brief summary dealing with some core issues. It's there in our church to do two things: one, to set us off from the world, to set us off from error. Jesus divides, but also it's there uh, to provide clarity concerning the doctrine or teaching of the Bible so that we can rally around it yep. and so that we can say, here we stand together um, on these truths, which is the word of God. Right. The confession is not the word of God, but it is a um, a very brief summary of the teaching of the word of God. So. Here we stand on yep. God's word, and here is what we believe the proper interpretation of it is. I guess that it should become such a great foundation for us to be able to dive in together as a church into these deep truths that are available to us and clear, right. clear to us in scriptures. Whereas otherwise, if we if we, we pursue the other thing you mentioned, you know, doctrine divides, Jesus unites. We're united on this. This is one little thing, not little, I shouldn't say that, but one issue that's okay. not clarified. Like, Jesus is not little, you're right, right. but, but the way sense. he yeah. is used in that in, in, in that culture, right, the Jesus unites, doctrine divides culture, it's very thin. Right. It's Jesus, but only a veneer and of you're, Jesus. You're left wondering, well, what, what is like, who is Jesus? What does it mean? To now, now we're doing, Jesus now we're doing theology. Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Now we're doing, now we're doing, uh, we're giving consideration to doctrine. So we, exactly. we've just broken the rule. And even with the simple question of who is this Jesus, we, we've now broken the rule. Yeah. We're, we're doing theology. We're engaging in, in the study of doctrine. We've been so, you know, um, influenced by the world's perspective of this, you know, coexist idea, this idea that we need to, just avoid all confrontation that we try to satisfy everyone. And mm-hmm. and in doing so, we lose our, our own identity, our own ideas of what right. was truth and what's not. So I'm all for te- I'm all for treating people who disagree with me really nice. I really am. Yeah. I, I can say hello. I can be, you know, I, I can smile. I can, and be authentically nice that, you know, I'm glad to have as neighbors those who uh, don't agree with me about anything concerning Jesus, but who are nice neighbors, and I can be nice to them. We don't have to be mean-spirited people. No, the Bible doesn't call for that. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So uh, that's good. But but I'm not going to be able to enjoy deep and substantial unity with those exactly. folks because we have such a different foundation, such a different worldview, right? Um. And what Jesus was praying for in John 17 is that the church, Christians, be one just as he and the Father are one. That's darn deep wow. right there. That's so. we, we, perfect unity, <laughs> exactly. perfect harmony, both as it pertains to um, 
doctrine, word, right? And as it pertains to work, word and work. I mean, in John's gospel, that's the emphasis. Jesus came and gave God's word faithfully to, to, to the people, and he did God's work. So that's the unity that is being— and That's the goal that set, is set before us by Christ is, is that. So when you that. settle for the Jesus unites, doctrine divides mantra, what you end up with is a unity that is just so shallow. It's just a veneer. It's the kind of unity that, that um, you know, is manifested in smiles on Sunday mornings, a handshake on Sunday mornings. But, I mean, I've experienced it, Mike, and I know you have too. You scratch the surface of that. Right, and you find that all sorts of division and hostility and chaos exists. Yep, yep. There's not deep unity there. It just looks good for a time, but you know what? Over the over the course of time, uh, these divisions rear their ugly head. They manifest themselves. Well, yeah, because you. I mean, if, if if as we're talking about in a church context too, like you have all these congregational members or attendees completely confused, right, on things that are deeper. There, there's confusion yeah. and not harmony there. Right. Um, I, I'm not afraid of division, Mike. That's the thing. Like there may come right. a day where division uh, comes to a maze. I pray it's never so. I think I would be kind of naive to assume that it will never happen, but <laughs> I, I pray that it's never so. Maybe the Lord would bless us with that. I don't know that I would minister all my years and never experience significant division, but I, I would imagine that it will come. The, the question, the, the goal is not never have conflict. Right. That's not the goal. The goal is be on the right side of that conflict, right, in regards to standing for the truth of God's word. And I think also beyond that, the goal is to love in the midst of conflict. It's possible to have significant disagreements with other people and to be a nice person and to to behave in a way that is um, um, with integrity and not – be angry – and do not sin, the scriptures say. So it's possible to be fired up about something, and rightly so, and then yet to not sin by being a um, deceitful, crafty, um, underhanded sort of person or something like that, or, or being nasty with your speech, right? Right. So I think, yeah, I, I think Christians make it their goal sometimes to never have conflict. We've accomplished what Jesus was praying for in John 17. If we never have conflict, mm. no. <laughs> No, because you have unity, but of the wrong kind. It's not the same sort of unity that uh, Jesus the Christ has with the Father, a unity that is centered upon word, the word and work of God. You know, I, I think that's the idea. Well, how would you encourage the people of Emmaus to, uh, as it pertains to unity, to pursue unity? In? Well, first of all, work to maintain it, Ephesians 4, 3. Labor to, to maintain that 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 unity that we are now enjoying. I love, again, I love talking about this when we're not having an issue with it, right? Uh, So blessed by this church and have been for the last almost five years now in this regard. I mean, it's been a beautiful thing. My fear is that we would take it for granted and that we would get kind of loose and sloppy with it, right? Um, Don't ignore issues. If you've been offended by me, please come and talk to me as soon as you can. Or me. (laughs) <laughs> please I, I i mean yes I'm, I'm a pastor but one that doesn't mean that i will not offend people of course two 
and please hear me on this, it, it does not mean that I'm omniscient. I don't what? know. <laughs> I don't know that I've offended you. If I knew that I would offended you, have offended you, I would have come and talked to you already. As far as I know, I've offended. Well, I know I've offended people, uh, but as far as I know, I have not sinned against anyone that I have not gone and tried to remedy that situation. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Um. So come and talk to me. Don't ignore issues. Come and talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ who perhaps have have, have, have uh, sinned against you. Um, don't assume that other people know and let's give thanks for the unity we're enjoying. It's a gift from God. I really, it's not because of us, right? It's just the grace of God. And so we should give thanks to it. Uh, thanks for it rather. And what would you say concerning maintaining or reestablishing unity with other Christians and churches around the Valley? How long have we gone on this episode? I guess I have the time here, huh? It's been a long one. It's okay. Um, We need unity, not only in the local church, but in the universal church. That's what Christ was praying for. Of course, this manifests itself, I think, most significantly in the local church. You know, that's where we enjoy real unity, and that's where also we grieve over disunity. Right, seeing each other week to week and mm -hmm. or more, you know. But I think Christ's prayer here extends beyond that. You know, his prayer is not just that local um, congregations around the world would join, enjoy unity within their own context, but that the body of Christ would enjoy unity um, universally. Again, that unity is not going to be found in organizational unity. That's not the kind of unity that Christ was praying for. I think there are some who kind of settle to, for that. They say, well, we're all still a part of the same denomination or presbytery. Uh, we belong to the same organizational structure. Therefore, we fulfilled what you know uh, Jesus was praying for in John 17. No. Or for those in Rome, I, I hear this a lot. You know, well, We are a unified church because we have the pope and the bishops over us, and we're all kind of under this organization. But, but yet even within Rome, there's a great deal of um, disagreement. You, you know, it's not an organizational unity that we should boast in, but real, really we should seek to have authentic unity with brothers and sisters who are in other other local congregations. Um, I think all these principles that we have just talked about apply, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think we're most obligated to apply them in our local church, but I think as long as we have opportunity or to pursue this kind of unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I think it's just necessary that we fellowship in other churches because I think there are some differences that make it difficult to be in the same local church. Like, for example, uh, the baptism issue that you know exists between uh, Baptists and Presbyterians, Pado baptists um, You know, it, it, yeah, yeah. I have a friend in this valley. Many of you know him. We agree on... It seems everything. Every time we get together, it's just agreement, agreement, agreement. Baptism, no. <laughs> I don't know how we could bring those two churches together and to say, okay, everyone covered their eyes. They're doing an infant baptism now. Okay, open them. <laughs> you know, right? You can't do that. Um, so, yeah, because of their lack of understanding. <laughs> I'm just joking, brother. If you're listening to this, you're not, but if you did. Um, no, because there is that difference of opinion on that issue, um, it's important that we minister, I think, in separate contexts. That's fine. But we should still pursue 
unity and a love for one another in Christ with yeah. all that we do have in common. Yeah. And I mean, and even to talk about the principle of discussing, like you two have discussed that many Constantly. Times, every so. time we get together, what do you think the conversation goes to? We banter yeah. about it a little bit, but it's in love. You know, I think there are a lot of doctrine. I don't know. It, it requires discernment. There are there are some things that we just ignore that we should not ignore, right? Yeah, that's not right. We we need to talk about them. If we're to enjoy real unity, we should talk about those issues, especially when the things are. I don't want to have conflict, so I'm yeah. not going to discuss it. Well, I think in church history, the church did a much better job at this at, at calling together councils. You know, where men would take days and weeks and months to come together and to hash things out so that some document could be produced which articulated good faithful biblical doctrine right uh we don't do that anymore we we kind of just go our separate ways and say yeah they're wrong and we're right so get over it yeah that's i don't like that you know there are some things we shouldn't ignore that we should probably hash out but it's also weird it's just the illustration you used we make long threads short ones and short threads long ones um you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and I was engaging with somebody on Facebook about this. But uh, on the on the Calvinism debate again, I, I really don't like talking about Calvinism all the time, but it comes up. Right there was this, there was this hostile exchange on Facebook about the doctrines of grace, and I and I said, you know, if I if I if I'm not mistaken, did did you guys not just hire a four, four point Calvinist as your pastor? Um, I don't know if I put it in those words, but that's what I was getting at. Do you not have four point Calvinists on your leadership team? If so, here's all the things we agree on, dink, 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 dink. If you don't know what dink, 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 dink refers to, listen to the series on Calvinism that we did, right? <laughs> here's all the things that we agree on. We disagree upon this one part. I'm not saying it's totally insignificant, but my gosh, we agree on a lot. Yeah. And I remember, and, and I said in this post, I go, I am just still baffled to this day why a four-point Calvinist would be hostile towards a five-point Calvinist. I mean, I get it that there's disagreement, and I'm not trying to minimize that, but at the same time, I'm going, we agree on so much. Right. The hostility is just – it's just weird. It's out of place, which in my mind proves that it's really not about right. – <laughs> yeah. there's more yeah. going on, of course. But um, yeah, I, I think learning to major on the majors and minor on the minors is a really important thing in regard to in, inter-church yeah. Inter, inter-church relationship, yeah. That's good. I feel like one of the major things from this talk right now has just been, let's talk about it. We get, you know, we have issues, we have questions. Make sure we, we, we take that step, even if it's hard, even if it takes some guts, just go ask your brother or sister about what they meant or uh, some doctrinal issue, whatever it is, we need to talk about it. I'm ready for that. I mean, kind of the elephant in the room right now, okay, is uh, the split that took place between Bible Fellowship Church and Emmaus Christian Fellowship. It, it'll be five years in June. Five yeah, years. It's been a while. You know, a lot has, a lot has happened in five yeah. years. Um, do you, no exaggeration. In five years, exactly one person has come to me and said, hey, can we talk about what happened? And that person came to me about three weeks ago. I, I mean, I'm not talking about the people that kind of were working everything out at the very beginning and then kind of decided where they were, were going to go. Um, but 
in, in five years, uh, one person has come to talk to me and said, so what is your side of the story? What happened? And can you help me to understand what you believe and why you believe it? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think naively I, I assumed after the split that more would come and inquire, right? But sure. I think we just have this tendency to just kind of say, yeah, I don't know what went on and whatever. We're just going on, putting right. our heads in the sand, right? right. Um, man, I'm just – it's interesting. Five years later, I, I'm kind of over that, you know, and moving into this season, it feels like where it's desiring to engage. Let's engage. Um, not to fight. I'm not looking for a fight at all. In fact, I can care less if you really agree with me doctrinally. But with those people who um, who I had relationships in the past that were broken, my, my mindset now is to say it's been long enough. I think it was important just to kind of give some room and to allow some healing and for the emotion to die down. But the time the time has come to just like start talking about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been interesting over the past couple of months, more and more of those opportunities have been coming up. And it's been good. It's been really, really good. It's not a fight. It's not a debate in any way. But with those people who I had relationships with that were broken because of that split, it's just been healthy. You know, it's either, yeah, you know, I'm sorry I, I offended you in that way. I didn't realize it or I see what you're saying and I do apologize or you forgive me or it's can I bring some clarity, you know, right. that it, it wasn't really how you thought it was either in regard to what happened um, or in regard to what you thought or think I and we believe. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, how's that not a good thing? It's a good thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. Um, yeah, someone used the illustration with me the other day talking about this saying that, you know, when, when you when you get a cut, let's say, on your arm, the best thing to do is just to leave it alone and to let it heal. And they were using that illustration saying that that's why they took the approach they did to never talk about the issue. I stopped them and I said, can I give you another illustration? When you break a bone and it begins to heal, oftentimes it will begin to heal improperly. That's not okay. What actually needs to happen is we need to re-break it, reset it, and then go on from there. That's what I feel needs to happen in a lot of circumstances with the division that um, uh, has you know, happened between the two churches. That There are some conversations that need to be, that, that need to be had between some people that will be more like kind of resetting a bone, you know. readdressing some of the issues gaining an understanding for one another which didn't exist in the beginning and then and then letting it set and then going on from there with hearts that are filled with peace and love towards one another so yeah i don't know if i was planning on being quite that blunt and direct about all this um but that's what we're desiring that's what we're praying for and uh, i'm excited for the opportunities that are arising all of a sudden yeah me too yeah that's good. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I hope uh, you listeners have as well. And um, if you like the content, again, just share it with your friends and family and uh, whoever else you want to share it with. Um, yeah, we're, we're glad to be doing it. So, well, thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time on Confessing the Faith. Until then, abide in Christ. Mm-hmm.